The last few Mishnahs have been talking about a ox or any animal which kills a person. And the Torah says that in such a situation, the ox is to be stoned. We saw in the previous Mishnah that according to the Tanakhama, even if the ox is ownerless and it has no owner to blame, even then the ox is killed. And the ox is called a Shurhaniskal. An ox which needs to be stoned. So it begins the Mishnah. An ox which belongs to somebody, which is going out to be stoned. The basin had already ruled that the ox needs to be stoned. It had given the verdict and the ox is being taken to be stoned. And its owner declares it Hekdash. He designates it to the Besamikdash. Says the Mishnah, It does not become designated to the Besamikdash. The owner has no rights to that animal anymore. Since that animal is about to be killed, so his ownership becomes irrelevant. Ownership means that that item is designated for his use, and here it's certainly not designated for a use, it's, it's about to be killed. And only the owner of something has the ability to turn that into Hekdash, to transfer its ownership to the Besamikdash. But he has no ownership rights over this Shrahaniskal once the verdict has already been given and it's taken out to be stoned. Shkhotoy, if he slaughtered the animal, Basara Asur, its meat is forbidden, not only forbidden to eat, but it's even forbidden to benefit from it. The Torah says, The ox is to be stoned, and its meat is not to be eaten. Now, when it says that its meat is not to be eaten, it's certainly not talking about once the ox has already been stoned, because then it's obvious that it can't be eaten because it didn't have a proper shechita. Any animal which dies without having a proper shechita, it's forbidden to eat it. So why does the Torah have to add that it's forbidden to eat its meat? It's coming to teach that even before it has been stoned, once the verdict has been given that it needs to be stoned, and it's now considered a shorhaniskal, already from then it's forbidden to benefit from the meat of that animal. However, says the Mishnah, If its owner made it hekdash, he designated to the Besamikdash before its verdict was given, after the animal killed, but before the basin had ruled that it needs to be stoned, Mukdash, the hekdash, is valid, it becomes the property of the Besamikdash. However, many learn that the court would force the owner to redeem it from the Beis Hamikdash, so they are able to kill the animal, and so the owner would have to pay the value of the animal to the Beis Hamikdash and exchange that for the animal, and then the animal would be killed by Beistin. The Imshchotai, if the owner slaughtered the animal before its verdict has been given, then Basara Mutar, its meat is permitted to eat and benefit from, since it has not yet got the status of a Sharhanisko. Mr. Test, the category of damage of Shar refers to damage done by somebody's property. However, we've already seen at the beginning of this Perek a situation where somebody is liable for the damages of an animal, even though he doesn't own it. That was the case where Ruvain's animal damaged Shimon's animal, it injured Shimon's animal, and Shimon took hold of the animal. And because he took hold of the animal, he became a shomer, somebody who was obligated to guard over the animal. And we learned that if the animal then gores again, Shimon is the one who is responsible for paying. And this is what the first half of the mission has come to tell us. If the owner gave over the animal to a shomer chinom, who is somebody who is guarding it for free, he's sort of doing a favor for the owner, or to somebody who is borrowing the animal, somebody who is guarding over the animal but is being paid to do so, or if he gives it to somebody who is renting the animal, meaning he is paying to use it. These are the four 
types of guards which are discussed at length in the next Masech above Metziah. But the point is they are responsible for guarding over this animal and if something happens to the animal they would be obligated to pay the owner for what happened in certain situations at least. And as well as that, this mission is coming to tell us that the general understanding, unless stated otherwise, is that he also accepts upon himself to guard the animal from doing damage to other people, to other property. The mission says, They enter underneath and in place of the owner, and regarding damages which the animal is going to do, the shamer, the guard, is considered to be like the owner. It's now considered to be like his animal, such that if it does damage, he is the one who would be obligated to pay for compensating the nizak for the damage which was done. Muad, if the animal was a muad, the mishalim nizak shalim, the guard would be obligated to pay full compensation, the tam, and if the animal is a tam, it's not yet prone to do damage. Mishalim chetzi nizak, the guard would be obligated to pay for half of the damage. Now, the second half of this Mishnah discusses the level of protection and guarding which one needs to do to his animal, which is a tam or a muad. Until now, we've assumed that when one's animal does a damage which comes under the category of keren, which has been the focus of the last perek and a half, so the owner has to pay. But the Torah says that he only has to pay if he didn't guard it. What happens if he guarded it, but some occurrence took place that out of the person's control, the animal managed to escape and did damage? In that case, the owner would be exempt. So the question is, what level of guarding does he need to do in order to exempt himself? If its owner tied it, he tied the animal with its leash, the regular leash which the animal has, the owner tied it to some pole, some post, so they wouldn't be able to run away and do damage. Or if the owner locked the door and the gate of his property on a fitting level, and we're talking about a level that the wall or the fence wouldn't fall down unless a very uncommon wind came along and knocked it down. But in a regular wind, it was not likely to come down. The odds of a hizik, and the animal went out and did damage. Echod tam vechod muad, whether the animal is a tam, or whether it's a muad, chayev, diver meir, the owner would be obligated to pay for the damages according to be meir. According to be meir, that is not a sufficient level of guarding which would exempt the owner from paying. That which we discussed is called a shmir pachusa, a lower level of guarding. According to Meir, the animal requires a shmir ma'ula, a higher level of guarding, such that even in an uncommon occurrence, the animal wouldn't be able to escape. And if the owner guarded it on any level lower than that, then he would be obligated to pay if the animal ends up doing damage. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Tam chayev. If the animal is a tam, then the owner would be obligated because the owner is obligated to do a shmir ma'ula, a higher level of guarding. Umuad, but if the animal is a muad, then potter, the owner is exempt from paying for the damage because according to Yehuda, for a muad, only a shmir pachusa is required, a lower level of guarding. Shnema, as the Pasuk says, regarding a muad, that he has to pay in a situation where the loyishmerenu ba'olov, its owner didn't guard it which implies that as soon as it is guarded on any sort of level, then you wouldn't be obligated to pay. And this animal is indeed guarded. It might be on a lower level, but it's considered guarded. 
So it comes out very interesting. According to Yehuda, one is obligated to guard his animal, which is less likely to do damage, the tam, more than he's obligated to guard the animal, which is more likely to do the damage, the muot. Why would that be? So the main explanation which is given is that if it is likely to do damage, and it's already done damage in the past, so people know about this animal, and they know that if they're going to see this animal, they're going to guard their own possessions, because they know that this animal is prone to do damage. So we expect other people to also protect and look over and watch their own property to make sure that this animal doesn't go ahead and damage their property. Whereas if the animal is a tam, so other people don't know to watch over their animals from this animal. So the entire obligation of watching over the animal is placed upon the owner of the animal, and therefore you'd be obligated to watch over it a bit more. Rebeliezer has an interesting opinion, and he says that regarding a muad, it is impossible to guard it enough. The only sufficient guarding which he can do is using the knife, meaning to kill the animal and shecht it, slaughter it, and eat it. And we're going to understand that Rebeliezer actually holds it's an obligation upon the owner to slaughter and kill his animal, because it's a dangerous animal. It's forbidden to hold a dangerous animal which is prone to injure and kill people and animals. So according to Rebeliezer, it is an obligation upon him to kill his animal, and if he doesn't do that, then regardless of how much he guarded his animal, if his animal manages to do damage, then he would be obligated to pay for that damage. This Mishnah continues the discussion of the category of damage of Keren, and the scenario in the Mishnah is an ox gored a cow, and this cow was pregnant, and there were witnesses who saw the ox gore the cow, but they saw it from a distance, and later on they come nearer to the cow, or the mazakin and the nizak come, and the cow's fetus is found at the side of the cow next to it, and it is also dead. However, the Enyoduite is not known for sure if the cow gave birth before the ox gored it, or whether it gave birth only after the ox gored it. Although it's more likely that it was the ox's goring which caused the fetus to die. When he gored the animal, the cow, so he caused the cow to miscarry its fetus, and the fetus died because of the goring. That is certainly a likely possibility. But on the other hand, there's also a possibility that the cow gave birth, and then the ox gored the cow, and the fact that the cow's child is also dead has nothing to do with the goring, but it died by itself. And we, has, we have no proof, we don't know what the case is. So according to the rule which we've seen in the previous perek of the one who is trying to take money from somebody else has to bring proof that he is entitled to that money, and without proof he doesn't receive anything. So the Nizik should not be able to receive anything for the baby cow. However, the Mishnah says, The Mazik has to pay the regular Chetzi Nezek, because his animal is a tum, so he pays Chetzi Nezek for the cow, or a Via Nezek Lavolod, and he has to pay a quarter of the damage which was done to the baby cow. We're not sure whether he has to pay Chetzi Nezek or nothing. So he pays half, and the Gemara explains that this is specifically according to the opinion of Sumchus, who was a Tana, and he was of the opinion that if you have a case where there is a doubt, as to whether somebody owes money to someone else or not, we don't say the rule of Hametzmei Chavir Olav Haraya, rather we've got a different rule that Momen Hamutal Basofeik Cholkim. Money which is in a situation of a doubt whether someone owes someone else money, we split it, so in this case we would split it, which would mean that he pays half. 
Continues the Mishnah. Similarly, if the cow who was pregnant gored the ox, and it's a tam, and its child, its baby, is found next to it, and now it's not relevant whether it's alive or dead, we'll assume that it is alive. It is not known whether the cow gave birth before it gored, or if it gave birth after it gored. Now, what difference does it make? The answer is, the tam, when a tam gores, the owner pays a maximum of the tam's value. He pays chetzi nezek, but the maximum he would ever have to pay is the value of the animal which did the goring, even if it is worth less than chetzi nezek. So we need to establish whether we include the value of the baby cow as part of the cow, and that would be if the cow had not yet given birth when it did the goring, or not if the cow gave birth and then gored, so it was worth less, and only that amount would the nizak be able to collect. So the Nisha says, The mazik would pay chetzinezek from the cow, and if there's less than the chetzinezek which he owes him, which the mazik owes the nizak, for example, if the chetzinezek which he owes him is 50 zuz, and the cow by itself is only worth 40 zuz, so there's 10 left, can the nizak collect that from the child? The answer is he can take half, he can take five zuz. Now the Mishnah says, that the mazik would pay a quarter of the damages from the baby, because the Mishnah is talking about a case, the, the second part, where you pay a quarter of the damages from the baby cow, is specifically talking about a case, it's a different case, where the cow which did the goring has been lost. So the Nizik is not able to collect anything from that cow. The question is, can he collect anything from the cow's baby? So we've got a doubt as to whether this cow, this cow's child, the baby cow, was part of the animal which did the goring or not. If it was, then he would be able to take Chetzinezek from that cat, from the baby cow. But if not, then he can't take anything. So again, we split it and he would be able to take the value of a quarter of the Nezek from the baby cow. Mr. Bates, this mission as well as the following Mishnah discuss the exemption of paying for damages which takes place in the Mazik's domain. So for example, If somebody who works with earthenware items, he makes pots and he enters, he brings in the earthenware utensils and pots which he has made into somebody's courtyard without permission and he leaves them there for a while and the owner of that house and that courtyard his animal breaks the earthenware items is the owner of the animal obligated to pay for those damages pottery is exempt it's not his fault at all and he can tell the person who brought them in you didn't have permission to put them in now you're complaining that my animal did damage to them you weren't even allowed to put them there Furthermore, says the Mishnah, if the animal gets damaged by those barrels, for example, when it breaks them, the sharp pieces injure the animal, the owner of the pots would be obligated to pay for the damages because he is certainly the one responsible for those damages. Says the Mishnah, however, if he brought those earthenware pots into the courtyard with permission, of the owner of the courtyard. Now it's assumed that when the owner gives him permission to put them there, according to the opinion of our Mishnah at least, it is assumed that he also accepts upon himself responsibility to guard the pots from being damaged and from doing damage. So if the pots do damage to his own animals, then the owner of the pots will be exempt because the responsibility is now totally upon the owner of the courtyard, because as the assumption made when he gives permission to somebody to put their pots into his courtyard. Now the Mishnah brings another example. 
If somebody brings in his fruit to someone else's courtyard, without permission. And the owner of the courtyard, his animal ate those fruit. Potter. The owner of the animal is exempt because he can go, turn around to the person who put his fruit there and tell him you didn't have permission to put them there. Now you're complaining that my animal ate them. Furthermore, if the animal gets damaged by those fruit, for example, the animal slips on the fruit, then the owner of the fruit would be obligated to pay for the damages. But once again, if he brought in the fruit with permission of the owner of the courtyard, the owner of the courtyard would be liable for any damage done to the fruit. And if the animal is damaged by the fruit, he would not be able to receive payment.